This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 85, Remembering Karna. Last time, in a single episode, we covered the entire three parva. King Dhritarashtra rounded up a whole mob of grieving women and led them down to the scene of their bereavement. At the battlefield, they attempted to reassemble their dismembered loved ones, and then a huge cremation ceremony was conducted. Only at the very end, when the first memorial was conducted by the banks of the Ganga, did Kunti confess to her sons that they had lost their eldest brother, Karna, in the war. It's funny that just minutes earlier, Yudhishthira was bragging to his uncle how he'd learned clairvoyance from the sage Lomasha, but then he was completely blindsided by his mother's confession. So I guess Krishna could really keep a secret, because none of the Pandavas had any clue that one of their worst enemies was also their older brother. The book came to an end with the touching scene of the Pandavas joining with Karna's wives to honor their dead. The next book, called the Shanti Parva, or the Book of Peace, opens by the same riverbank. As most of the women returned home, the Pandavas decided to remain outside the city for a full month as a period of mourning. While they camped there outside the city walls, the greatest rishis and holy men gathered with them. Among them were the famous sages Vyasa, Narada, Devala, Devasthana, and Kanva, along with their foremost disciples. Even now, as undisputed king of the world, it was Yudhishthira who bowed down in deference to these holy forest dwellers. Thousands of Brahmins and religious devotees also came to offer comfort to the new king. Then Narada addressed Yudhishthira. He said, By the strength of your arms and the grace of Krishna, you have righteously won the whole earth. So now, shouldn't you be celebrating? Shouldn't you be rewarding those who helped you win this great victory? I hope you are not still afflicted with grief. Yudhishthira answered, I am indeed grateful to Krishna and my brothers, but there is always a heavy burden on my heart, because out of greed I cause the deaths of my kinsmen. Having lost my sons, this victory feels more like defeat. And what grieves me most is that, in my ignorance, we cause the death of my own brother, the son of the sun god. Yudhishthira then rehashed the story of Karna's birth and abandonment, how Karna found out about his mother, but that it was too late for him to abandon the Karva cause. He observed that, while Karna knew who his mother was during the fight, none of the five Pandavas had any clue, and that was how they ended up killing their own brother. Yudhishthira then thought back to the dice game. He said, Even when I was being tormented in the assembly hall, somehow I found my wrath cooled at the sight of Karna's feet. I thought to myself, his feet look like Kunti's. But I still don't understand this. Why was my brother cursed? Narada replied, the reason this tragedy is so confusing to you is that you lack the proper perspective. You see, before you were born, some means were needed by which the Kshatriyas of the earth could be sent off to the regions of bliss. So it was for this purpose that a child was conceived by Kunti, who was capable of provoking a great war. By the pronouncement of fate, the child came to be raised as a Sutta. Later, he learned the science of warfare from Drona, but he always burned with envy over you and your brothers. Early on, he fell in with Duryodhana, but he knew Arjun was a superior in fighting skills, so he approached Drona and asked how he might acquire the Brahmastra weapon. But Drona told him, Only Brahmins or penitent Kshatriyas may learn this weapon, no one else. Karna then thanked his guru and left in search of Rama Jamadagnya, who at that time lived in the Mahindra Mountains. When he found Rama, he presented himself as a Brahmin of Bhargava descent. Rama was also Bhargava, so he received him warmly and took him in as his student. Karna did well at Rama's ashram, hanging out with Gandharvas, Yakshas, and gods. Narada said that it was at this time that Karna was out alone one day and accidentally killed a cow belonging to a devoted Brahmin. He doesn't say how Karna actually did it. Since he was pretending to be a Brahmin, I don't think he could have been hunting. 
But whatever he was up to, he ended up killing this cow. The Brahmin who owned the cow, who performed Vedic sacrifices daily, got really mad at Karna. Karna, meanwhile, apologized profusely, but the Brahmin was having none of it. Karna offered him cattle, gold, and gems, but the Brahmin cursed him, saying, You shall bear the fruits of this crime. When you are fighting your greatest rival, the earth shall swallow up your chariot wheel, and while you are stuck, your rival will cut off your head. The Brahmin then sent Karna packing. Despite this curse, things still went well back at the ashram. Rama grew very affectionate toward his student and happily taught him the mantras and usages of the Brahmastra weapon. Sometime later, the pair of them were off on a hike when Rama grew tired from recent fasting and wanted to rest. Karna was happy to lend his lap as a pillow for his guru to rest on. While Rama napped contentedly on Karna's lap, a malignant worm crept up and embedded itself in Karna's leg. Despite the horrendous pain, Karna would not disturb his guru with the slightest motion, so he just held still and let the worm feed on his leg. Eventually, the worm bored all the way through his thigh, and a pool of blood formed around his legs. Some of this blood got on Rama and he woke up. Seeing the blood on his arm, Rama sat up and said, Damn it, now I'm impure. You see, Brahmins lose their spiritual potency when they become impure or dirty and must go through a ritual cleansing to get their mojo back. Rama looked at Karna and said, What are you doing bleeding all over me? He then looked down and saw Karna's injured leg and the malicious creature that had done all the damage. It says this strange creature was shaped like a hog, had eight feet, had numerous sharp teeth, and was covered in prickly bristles. Rama's glance proved fatal for the disgusting beast, and it literally melted under his gaze. Then, in the sky appeared a rakshasa. His hands folded, he addressed Rama, saying, O best of ascetics, you saved me from hell. The rakshasa then explained that he had once, way back in the Krita Yuga Golden Age, been a good friend of Rama's ancestor, Bhurgu. He was called Dansa, but he had raped Bhurgu's wife, and in return, Bhurgu cursed him. Turning him into a worm, Bhurgu said, You shall endure a living hell, subsisting on the urine and phlegm of other creatures. Dansa asked him how long this curse would last, and Bhurgu predicted that his own descendant Rama would finally set him free. After giving this explanation, the Rakshasa went away, and Rama turned angrily on Karna. He said, You idiot! No Brahmin can endure such agony. You have the forbearance of a Kshatriya, so tell me truly, don't be afraid. Trembling with fear and shame, Karna prostrated himself before his guru, hands joined, and said, I am a Sutta, a race that sprang from the intermixture of Brahmins and Kshatriyas. People call me Karna, son of Radha, and I only did this because I needed weapons, so that's why I introduced myself as a Bhargava Brahmin. Angry but smiling, Rama said, Since, in your greed for weapons, you perpetrated this falsehood, you shall not remember the Brahma weapon when you need it the most. Now, get out of here. There is no place here for the dishonest. Narada concluded this tale, saying that Karna then returned to Duryodhana and told him, Now I have mastered all weapons. Narada then went on to tell a couple of stories highlighting Karna's heroism. In the first story, Karna accompanied Duryodhana to a Swayamvara bride choice, where the princess of Kalinga was to choose her own husband. Duryodhana placed himself in the lineup, but when the girl passed, she barely afforded him a second glance. Unable to bear being rejected at anything, the Karva snatched the girl and ran off with her, while Karna held off the collective onslaught of the girl's relatives and all her suitors. Single-handedly, Karna vanquished the flower of India's nobility and sent them running for home, while his pal Duryodhana got away with the princess. Narada said that Karna's fame reached the ears of the ruler of Magadha, 
Jarasand, and that famous king challenged Karna to a duel. This must have been well before the Rajasuya sacrifice, because Jarasand was dead by then. See episode 19. So Karna and Jarasand met in single combat, fully armed. The pair were evenly matched, and soon they had spent all their arrows, destroyed each other's cars, and broken their blades. Finally, they were reduced to wrestling each other. I guess Karna knew Jarasand's fatal secret, because he was about to split the king into two pieces when Jarasand decided to make peace with him. In return for Karna's amity, Jarasand gave over the territory called Champa. Thus it was that Karna won the kingdom of Anga as a gift from Duryodhana, and won the land of Champa by the strength of his arms. Narada concluded saying that Karna was indeed one of the best, but he was burdened with so many curses and other disadvantages that tragedy was inevitable. But most important of all is that Karna now rests in paradise, so there's no point in feeling sorry for him. Even though this is a rather short episode, I'm going to end it here for now, because Yudhishthira will not take Narada's advice to be happy for his fallen brother. On the contrary, it seems almost like our hero is looking for an excuse to give up everything and enter the forest. There will be much discussion on the subject of whether it is better to renounce the world or to live in the world, so we'll get to that next time. Thanks for listening. 